0: or you're new to practicing solo, you've got your game plan. Now what? First, know that you're not alone. It's the fastest-growing segment of the legal profession. Welcome to New Solo, here on the Legal Talk Network, where you'll learn about practicing law solo.
1: Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Before we get started, we want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager is a web-based highly secure application operating in SAS 70 type 2 attested data centers if you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge or to learn more visit www.myfirmmanager.com/ltn
2: Welcome to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad that you could listen today. I'm attorney Kyle Gelcher, a solo practitioner from Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, I practice a variety of areas of law, including general civil litigation, business law, entertainment law, intellectual property law, and consumer law. On New Solo, we're going to talk about all the things you may not have learned in law school if you're a young lawyer, and all the things you may be facing if you've left a larger firm and now you're starting out on your own with colleagues in a smaller firm. Today's show will focus on a Gen Y solo who will discuss uh, starting a Spartan overhead sharply focused law office, otherwise known as a micro law office. Joining me today is my guest attorney Rachel Rogers. She's owner and principal attorney at Rachel Rogers Law Office. It's a bi-coastal law firm. Uh, it provides innovative legal counsel to Gen Y entrepreneurs and business owners. And like most of her clients, Rachel is an under-30 CEO. Uh, prior to forming her own practice, Rachel worked for judges, nonprofits, uh, a lobbying firm, an investment bank, and Secretary of State uh, Hillary Rodden Clinton. And in addition to helping uh, young people start businesses, Rachel is also passionate about traveling in developing countries, drinking East African coffee, uh, writing her blog entitled, My Lawyer's Name is Rachel, and cheering on the New York Jets. Welcome to New Solo, Rachel.
3: Thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you for that introduction.
2: Oh, certainly. Uh, let's start off with something very basic. What is a micro law office?
3: A uh, micro law office is a term coined by a Florida attorney that uh, writes for me on my Gen YJD blog, Uh, His name is Joseph Brown, and he defines a micro firm as a law firm consisting of one person, one practice area, and operating with monthly overhead of less than $300. So it's pretty, you know, it's like a lean, one person, one practice area uh, law practice.
2: And what are its advantages, uh, a micro law office's advantages, as compared to, what I'm going to use loosely, a traditional law office?
3: Well, I think the main thing is being able to start with little to no startup costs, which is really important for a lot of unemployed law grads right now who find themselves having to become entrepreneurs, even though they never wanted to uh, in order to survive or in order to do what they wanted to do, which is practice law. So I think that's the big benefit. And also keeping your overhead low so you can operate leanly and basically maneuver with the market, I think, is great also.
2: What are some basics and considerations before starting such an office?
3: Well, I think the most important consideration is how are you going to survive while your practice grows? Um, I recommend slashing your personal expenses. Um, that's what I did. I have a house, for example, um, and I rented out my house and moved into a smaller apartment. And, and that, was, that rental income was able to cover some of my personal expenses. I also got rid of my very nice SUV that I loved to to drive. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, so I think there are a lot of creative ways you can use to cover your personal expenses because when you're starting a practice, um, you know, you're not going to have a lot of income starting out immediately. Um, You may have some income, but a lot of times you need to invest that income back into the practice. So um, other examples are you could maybe move in with family for a year Borrow against a 401k or retirement fund, or use some of your savings. Um, and in some states, I've actually found out that you can obtain unemployment benefits if you recently lost your job while you're starting your practice. Uh, some states allow you to do that, which is great. You know, so there are creative ways that you can um, cover your personal expenses while you're while you're starting your practice. I think you know, slashing them is a, is very important because then you have less to cover and less to worry about.
2: From what I understand, many micro law offices are gen wires practicing one area of law. Is it prudent to put efforts into only one area of law? Why not diversify into at least two or three different areas?
3: I, I think it's best to focus on one area. Um trying to juggle various practice areas as a new attorney and making sure your knowledge of several practice areas is up to snuff is really challenging. I think it's better to focus on one area and get confident in that area of law and show off your expertise in that particular area, you know, through blogging um, and, you know, uh, you know, obviously representing your client. Plus, as a solo, you're you're working on your own. You have to manage your workflow in an efficient way, and it's harder to do that if you've got a bunch of different practice areas which all require different workflow management. So it's easier if you have one practice area where you see the same, you know, five or ten – And you can set up a workflow for that.
2: If someone is going to choose only one area, how should they go about selecting that particular practice area?
3: I think you have to have a niche and that niche should be based on what area of law a new lawyer is interested in and can offer without tons of overhead or startup costs. I think that's the most important thing because if you're going to be practicing, studying, blogging, and basically living a certain area of law, you've got to make it interesting for yourself. Otherwise, who would be able to sustain it and do it long term?
2: What is the double narrow rule that you have coined, and could you provide an example
3: of it? Um, This is, uh, the double narrow rule is a method that I made up to help attorneys define a narrow niche to become experts in. I think, um, you know, some people think a niche is family law. Family law is not a niche. (laughs) You know, that's a practice area. (laughs) But there are, the double narrow rule kind of allows you to get down to a narrow enough niche that you can become an expert in. Um, Basically requires that you choose a practice area and then you narrow that practice area at least twice in order to come up with a narrow enough niche.
2: And could you give us an example? What would be an example of that?
3: Sure. Um, Let's say, for example, I'm going to start a practice in family law. Well, the only problem with that is that there are a million family lawyers in any jurisdiction. How are you going to compete and differentiate yourself? Um, I think it's better to choose an area within family law to practice, such as child support law. So that's one narrowing from family law to child support law. But that's still a little too broad. You probably have a lot of people that are also specializing in child support law. So you can narrow again. Why not be a child support lawyer that represents only fathers? Now you're a father's rights child support lawyer. And that's going to garner a different response than just family law um, you know, men who feel like they're getting screwed with their child support and and you're kind of focusing on that area, they're going to be drawn to you. They're going to feel like you really get them and you get their problem. And they're going to be more likely to come to you than they would to just a general family law practitioner, I think.
2: What are some burgeoning niche areas of law?
3: Um I have no idea. <laughs> okay, I'm just half kidding. <laughs> but there is uh, there is one that I've noticed and that I practice in myself, which is generational niches. Um, Carolyn Elephant really recently wrote about the baby boomer niche, which she differentiates from elder law, mainly because baby boomers don't think of themselves as elderly. <laughs> so I think when you focus on a specific generation, you can identify legal needs that they may have based on their age and stage of life. Um, so, you can kind of create a niche uh, based on a generation, which is what I've done with Gen Y, and then kind of, you know, I'm focusing on Gen Y, but not all of Gen Y, just Gen Y entrepreneurs. Um, I, But I also think that uh, jumping on the next so-called hot practice area is not necessarily always the best way. I think it's probably better for lawyers to just create their own niche based on their interests, their experiences, and potential clients they have access to.
2: In business, everything has a cost. What does that mean to you?
3: Well, that means that there's another side of saving money. Uh, For example, you can and probably should operate incredibly leanly when you first start your practice, but inevitably, your lean overhead will cost. For example, you may be able to get a lot more work done in a professional office space than you could sitting at your kitchen table because of the distractions or maybe the environment is not conducive to the work you're doing or whatever. So maybe the office rent money that you save is not worth the added time it takes to get through a case or the revenue that you lose from additional clients you could have served. So I think it's very important to operate leanly, but I also think it's important to realize that at a certain stage of your business, it may make more sense to take on additional overhead in order to increase revenue.
2: Uh, are there some good concrete examples you can give for cost reduction?
3: Developing a team could be a cost reduction. Uh For example, leveraging a virtual assistant may allow you to serve more clients and serve your clients better, and then free up some of your time maybe to market yourself, maybe to write articles or to service additional clients, leading to additional revenue that will likely exceed the expense of the virtual assistant. So, now you've spent money on your virtual assistant, but you've gotten back that plus some because of what hiring that virtual assistant has allowed you to do.
2: And to follow up on that question, so you're saying a team would alle- alleviate some of the burden aside from the virtual assistant, who should be on this team?
3: There it could be, it could be uh, law practice uh, management software that you use. It could be, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be people. It could be technology. Um, and, you know, another good thing to do would be to use independent contractors. Um, you know, for example, hiring an accountant to do your taxes or, you know, bookkeeper to handle the accounting for your practice. Um, those might be examples of things that you can... It's kind of, in a way, outsourcing certain aspects of the work that you do so that you can focus on the revenue-generating work.
2: After a micro-office is started, when should a new lawyer consider investing in his or her business?
3: Um, I would say when they have the money to do it. For me, I started out with three clients. And when I finished that work and got paid, I used some of that money to set up a website, very frugally, like a couple hundred dollars. I'm not talking thousands. And then I purchased some business cards and then I got a few more clients. And when the work was done, I used the income from those clients to cover my virtual office for several months, which was just, um, you know, an address, phone number, um, and kind of answering service, uh, and, you know, a place that I could receive packages and also conference space that I could use if I wanted to meet with clients. So it's kind of like a, almost like a part-time office space. So that's what I used it for. Um, and then I put some of the money in reserve and that reserve enabled me to take advantage of some marketing opportunities uh, later, which led to greater visibility and then more clients. So I kind of liked the pace of letting the business fund itself um, which is why figuring out how you're going to cover your basic needs in the beginning is an essential question to ask, <laughs> you know, so you can allow your business income to kind of uh, let the business grow and, and be invested back in the business.
2: And you had mentioned some of the resources that you invested in for your business. Is a website one of the most important things that you should start with? What are some of the the investments that a, a new lawyer should make if he's starting uh, a micro-office?
3: I think uh, having, you know, uh, like I said, uh, independent contractors would be a good investment. Um, some technology, for example, a smartphone might be a good investment. Um, maybe some law practice management software, or um, there's a, I forget the name, of it. it's called CRM. I can't remember what it stands for. Basically, it's like customer, I think it's customer relationship management software. And, you know, kind of all this stuff is not really expensive, maybe $25 a month or something like that, but it helps you to manage your practice and serve your clients better and maybe even have more time so you have energy, you know? So I think those are good investments to make, but um, pretty much anything that helps you work efficiently and make more money is probably going to be a good place to consider investing in.
2: Uh, To to follow up, what does that CRM software do um, for those who may, may not be knowledgeable?
3: Um honestly, I am just getting started with it, so i don't have a lot of information about it. but from what I understand, it helps you to kind of keep track of all of your clients and potential clients and you know people who have just maybe sent you an email or you've had some type of contact with them and it lets you know how many times you've had contact with them when the last contact was um, you know when's the last time you responded to your client or they sent you a question so it's basically helping you keep track of the relationship really with the customer, which I think is great because, um, you know, if you just use email, for example, you know, there's so many emails, you get, it gets flooded and, you know, you think about a client and you say, hey, I haven't talked to them in a while. or So it, I think it's a good way to stay on top of your client relationships, which I think is super essential in the work that we do. Uh,
2: in general, what are the two must-have pieces of technology for any micro firm?
3: I guess for... Well, for me, the smartphone is, you know, is is really essential. Um, and the other thing that I really rely on, which I think is great, is um, virtual law office software. Those are the two things that I use that allow me to operate leanly and, you know, keep track of my clients and really stay on top of the work. Um, and the smartphone, I mean... I've been, you know, driving up the coast of California and, you know, going on like, you know, a a day with my husband to hang out and, you know, been able to communicate with clients and respond to emails, you know, sitting in the car on the drive. Um, So I think smartphone is great because it allows you to get away from the office. So and, and probably an iPad would be a good use also like that, where you can kind of get away from the office or get away from your home, but still be able to keep in touch with clients and Um, manage, you know, continue to manage what your, you know, work. So anything that allows you to get away, I think is good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Are there any particular applications that potentially you could recommend for either the smartphone or the iPad that would, again, uh, to to follow up what you're saying, make you more efficient and help you with your workload?
3: Well, I don't use an iPad. Um, I've just kind of played with it a little bit. And um, I think it would be, you know, a really good Investment. I haven't made that investment yet um, because I just bought a new laptop. I've just switched over to Mac. Um, So, uh, you know, honestly, I don't really use a lot of apps. Probably the Google Suite is is really what I rely on um, for Gmail, the calendar, um, just because it allows me to sync everything. So, if I put something in my calendar on my smartphone, it comes up, you know, on my desktop when I'm, you know sitting in front of sitting in the office. So it's great because it's just, you know, allows me to, it, wherever I am, I can put things in. So usually if I'm on the phone with someone or I'm somewhere and need to kind of make an appointment, I can plug it in and it's always there. So I think that's great. And then the, just the Gmail suite. I use Google Voice. I use all of the kind of Gmail small business um, services, which are cheap. And really good services, like Google Docs and all of that. So I recommend that uh, for for new solos that are trying to operate leanly.
2: What is the 80-20 rule?
3: The 80-20 rule um, says to spend 80% of your time on developing your product or service and only 20% of your time on marketing think that there have been lots of studies that show that people actually do the opposite, that they only spend 20% of their time on their product or service, and then spend 80% of their time trying to market it.
2: Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, when we return, more with attorney Rachel Rogers.
0: Want to stay in touch with the Legal Talk Network and get our shows automatically? RSS provides home delivery. You don't have to remember where to click. The good stuff comes right to you, automatically and free. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and hit the RSS button at the top of the page. It says, Our Podcast Feeds. Now you'll be all set. If you like listening to New Solo, you might also like The Unbillable Hour on LegalTalkNetwork.com.
2: Welcome back to New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're joined by attorney Rachel Rogers, owner and principal attorney at Rachel Rogers Law Office, a bi-coastal law firm providing innovative legal counsel to Gen Y entrepreneurs and business owners. Welcome back, Rachel. Um, Thank you. Let's, to, to follow up on that question I had asked you about the 80-20 rule, why w- would you spend 80% of your time on making the best product and not 80% of your time on advertising? Won't you be losing clients?
3: No because your product will be better and your service basically will be better. Um I think that what clients really care about is the relationship. Um you know, they we're selling ourselves as lawyers, you know, clients don't know uh which lawyer is better from the next one. You know, we all have accolades, we're all smart, we all went to law school. So, you know, to say one is better than the other, they don't really know. So the way they're going to choose is whether they like you. Um, and, you know, whether they feel that you can kind of serve their needs and, uh, you know, at a price they can afford. Um, and, and maybe even the price won't be as important as whether they like you <laughs> and whether the relationship is is there. So I think that's a really important part is figuring out a way to really serve your clients, really connect with them. I think the peop- the thing that clients tend to complain about the most is that we kind of disappear. You know, they hire us, we're handling their case, and they don't hear from us for a while. Instead of um, having your clients call you and say, hey, where are you? What's going on with my case? Set up a system where you're contacting them regularly. You know, Think of ways that you can work efficiently but also serve your clients really well so they're getting that relationship that you promised in your marketing. You know, um, I think that's one way that lawyers can make their service better. And then when your service is awesome, clients will market for you. So you won't have to do as much marketing because you'll get tons of referrals. I use all kinds of social media marketing and all kinds of marketing in general. Um, But my best clients always come from referrals from other clients that were satisfied with my services. So um, I think it's really important to make your service fantastic, really focus on the clients. And then the marketing will be so easy because, you know, your service is that great that clients are going to love you and they're going to keep, you know, uh, coming back and telling their friends about you.
2: In the context of a micro law office, would you recommend free or paid consultations?
3: Um, Well, I think it does depend, and I could talk a little bit about my experiences with that, because I've used free, and I've also used paid consultations. Um, Initially, I started out with free consultations um, against the advice of my entrepreneur husband. (laughs) He was vehemently against it, but (laughs) but I did it, and it was free 30-minute consultations, and I did a lot of consultations and talked to lots of people, um, and had great conversations. Unfortunately, a lot of them didn't become clients. And I also started to get the feeling that a lot of them were just looking for free legal advice, that they really didn't have any intentions of hiring a lawyer, but just kind of wanted to get a couple of questions that they had answered. Um, And so, you know, I felt like it was very time consuming and it wasn't serving its purpose, which was to generate, you know, paying clients. so I decided, you know, after one particularly bad consultation where I just felt, I just felt really used, <laughs> um, you know, I just felt like, you know, I, I was just being pumped uh, for questions and there there wasn't really an attempt to get to know the other person and to see if you like them and you want to work with them, uh, which I think is what, you know, when you're going around maybe meeting with potential professionals, like an accountant or a lawyer that you're going to use, that's part of the process. Um You know, do I like this person? Do I think I want to work with them? Um, It really wasn't that. It was more like, answer these questions for me as fast as you can in 30 (laughs) minutes, or as many as you can in 30 minutes. So I kind of got rid of that, and I took the bold step of removing all, you know, traces of free consultation from all my marketing materials and my website. And I started offering a legal strategy session. So this was a one-hour consultation, not 30 minutes, and I charged $250 for this one-hour consultation. Um, and I got an overwhelming response. Tons of people started contacting me and signing up, even if they didn't know me, they would just sign up on my website, um, for the paid consultations. Um, so, you know, that let me know that this was a service that, you know, clients wanted and, you know, the free consultation process also kind of taught me that there are different types of entrepreneurs and and that's why I think it kind of depends on your practice area. For me, I think there are entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting a business and then there are entrepreneurs that are invested and that are ready to put their money where their mouth is and, you know, do what they have to do to make their, you know, dream business come true. And those are the type of entrepreneurs I want to work with. Um, the ones that are kind of wishy-washy and not quite sure yet, I, you know, that's not my ideal client. Uh, so this allowed me to kind of figure out who my ideal client is, and I also it also allowed me to offer a service that they wanted. Some of these clients just wanted an hour to talk to an attorney and get some advice. So I I was able to kind of unbundle that service um and provide a separate service where it's just, you know, 1 hour of time and then for those clients that did decide to hire me if they purchased a package or kind of like a retainer situation where there was like an ongoing relationship over several months then I would credit the 250 towards that package. Um so it was kind of a win-win. I got paid for my time and I was pr- able to provide value to them. Um and then, you know, if they decided to become clients, they got a benefit of of, of uh, getting that two hundred and fifty um that they've already paid. It was kind of like their deposit. So, um, so yeah, I, I think that's worked out really good for me. And I think the free consultation is a good way to test, you know, test your market, get to know your clients, test different sales pitches, you know, um, and different service offerings. So, it's a good way to test and figure out what's going to work for you initially, I think. But... Um, You know, I think in a lot of practice areas, it doesn't work.
2: How has social media helped your practice?
3: Oh, social media has been huge for me. (laughs) Um, It's kind of how I really started out. Um, And I guess I started a social media kind of uh, using Twitter and Facebook before um, I even decided to start my practice. And I started it mainly because I wanted to follow kind of the solo gurus like Carolyn Elephant and um, Susan Cartier-Liebel. So I followed some attorneys on there just to kind of get to know them, see, you know, what their experiences was as as solo attorneys Um, and kind of developed a network of attorneys and, you know, almost mentors really from that, you know, from using Twitter um, and also on Facebook. Um, And then that led to opportunities. You know, um, once I started my practice, they contacted me and said, oh, you know, you should write an article for my blog. And then I became a regular columnist for Solo Practice University. I've also been contacted for interviews and kind of, um, you know, all kinds of relationships, really. Um, I also have an of-counsel attorney that I work with um, who assists me on certain cases. Um, And she's, you know, a more experienced attorney. So she you know brings her level of experience to my practice which is great and i actually found her by asking on twitter you know and you know we connected and and now we have a working relationship so i think there's so much opportunity that can happen on twitter just just connecting with people um and facebook too i've gotten clients from facebook so i think social media marketing is huge it's Free, you know, it's going to take a little time, but that's all it takes is time. Um, And it's a great way for you to share your content. If you're blogging about your practice area, you can share the articles that you write on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn. Um, You know, and people can get to know you, get to know your area of expertise, and you'll get to know others. Um, So it's just a great tool, I think, for marketing, for connecting with clients, for connecting with mentors and colleagues it's just It's just been great for me, so i I am definitely a big social media uh marketing fan <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh what is the best piece of advice that you have received?
3: uh the best piece of advice I actually heard the other day um, <laughs> and I think it's really good and motivating. um I actually posted on my Facebook page and got a huge response from it um a girl who is Uh, she used to be a lawyer actually and now she's kind of pursuing another passion of hers which is songwriting and she wrote um, this quote that I'll read to you it it says the key to getting what you desire is simply to expect that you will get it and when you waver from this the energy needed to manifest the desire dissipates so until you are able to master the art limit your desires to one or two things at a time and see what happens Um, her name is Taisha Rucker Um, that's the author of that quote but Basically, what she's saying is, you know, you have to believe, you know, so when you're starting a new practice, um, you know, and you're basically becoming an entrepreneur and relying on your own blood, sweat and tears to generate income, you've just got to believe, believe it, believe that it's going to happen where you're going to get to a place where you're going to be able to make, you know, a good living and enjoy your work. Um, And then if you have a hard time believing, you know, all these things are going to happen, just focus on one thing happening, (laughs) you know, just believe one thing. Um, you know, which is that your practice is going to grow or that you're going to be able to support yourself. And I think one of the things that's really encouraging and that was encouraging for me when I was starting out is that there are so many, you know, 90% or more of all attorneys in this country are solos, you know, so tons and tons of people are doing this type of work and and are able to support themselves. So there's no reason why young lawyers can't do it too.
2: Uh, let me ask you uh, one additional question. You had alluded to the Google Suites and some some other opportunities that are potentially free um, or low cost for new lawyers. Uh, is there a way to access free legal research, to your knowledge?
3: That's, I think, an important tool for a lot of people. I don't use it necessarily a lot in my practice because I do transactional work, but I do use it. Um, One of the great things is that if you just join a local bar association, and a lot of times, if you're a new lawyer, they'll let you join for free the first year, um, you get free legal research tools. Um, I know we get free LexisNexis, um, I think, through the New York State Bar Association, and then I've got other um like lowest law I get through the New Jersey State Bar Association. So you know, if you're a member of a bar association, there these are some of the benefits that you can get, uh, free legal research. Also, I know at my local courthouse you can go down there, show your law license, and borrow books. Um they have like an extensive law library and you can borrow the books there. Um so if you ever want to do it the old school way, <laughs> use the books. That's another uh, potential resource. So I think you just got to do research. Um, And really, it's amazing. Like, if if you want to do something and you've got very little resources, you can make it happen, especially in this information age where so much information is online. Um, There's just, there are ways to kind of meet all of your needs, um, you know, and still, you know, do what you want. Do what you love, you know. So a- another resource might be also um, your law school library. You know, as an alumni, you're allowed to use your law school library, and so that might be a, so- a resource for you. So yeah, so there are some, you've just got to think a little bit out of the box and kind of look around, but there's there's free legal research out there. I've actually had, I've talked to other attorneys. Um, I think they were practicing family law that said, you know, they started out and they bought a West Westlaw account. And it was very expensive, and it took up a lot of income, and they found out that they really didn't need it as much as they thought they would. A lot of the cases that they were looking up were available online, and then they they also had other resources, you know, local law libraries, et cetera, that they could have used. So they really regretted investing in that. So before you make that big investment, because it's expensive, um, definitely think about, you know, the different places that you might be able to get access to legal research for much cheaper.
2: Let me ask you a question about office space. You you had mentioned this earlier, um, and, and I know that you're a bicoastal law firm yourself. Is someone that's starting out with a, a micro law office that you had said, you know, expenses of approximately $300 per month. Is it feasible to go out and get office space, or would you recommend that person may, uses some alternative methods like sharing space, or working from home, or that sort of thing?
3: Well, I think there are pluses and minuses to both. Um, You know, I started out working from home because I had clients contacting me before I even started a practice, and it's actually part of the reason why I started a practice. So I had a couple of clients to start out with, Um, and so working from home, you know, worked for me. And a lot of my clients are young. They're Gen Y, so they're very comfortable using the Internet, and they're very comfortable not necessarily meeting you in person. Um, You know, for some other practice areas, that might not work as well. But you can always meet at a library. You can meet at a coffee shop. There are lots of different places that um, rent conference space for, you know, $25 for the hour. And you can meet with one or even two clients during that hour. Um, So those are some examples of ways that you can kind of, um, and you can use, you know, a virtual office, uh, which kind of gives you a professional address so you don't have to use your home address. Um, and a professional answering service, um, so that's another potential way to kind of use a uh, work from home, but have a professional appearance um, and setting to meet with clients. Uh, but one of the benefits for for you know working in an office, especially if you're in a suite with other attorneys, is that you'll get um, you know cases referred to you. A lot of times, you know, if they get a client that maybe can't afford them or is not the right client for them, but would work for you, they'll refer, you know, that client over to you. Um, it's also a great way to get some work from them. You know, maybe if they're kind of overwhelmed one week, they might, you know, farm out a little bit of their work to you and, you know, allow you to make a little money that way. So, some for itself, if you're in a law office suite or something like that. Um, but I've also had friends who bartered where they said, you know, I'll give you... T- of my time a week where I'll do some work for you in exchange for, you know, free office space in your office. Um, so that's an arrangement you might try to make with lawyers that you know in your area. Um, so, you know, I think you can get creative. If you really want office space or you feel like you need it for your particular practice area, um, you know, just try to find something that's really reasonable, you know, Um but yeah, I think it really depends. You've got to figure out what works for you. And I think all the decisions you make in your practice should really be based on you know a business model. Figure out what your business model is. What are you doing? How are you going to make income? And then decide what fits in that business model. But I personally think it's important to um, invest the business funds into the business rather than taking all of your personal money and putting it into the business. Um, I think it's better to let it kind of Generate income, and then you grow as income is generated.
2: well, that about does it for this edition of new solo. Remember you can find all of our shows at legaltalknetwork dot com You can also subscribe to this program through iTunes. A very special thanks to my guest, attorney Rachel Rogers, for joining me today. Rachel, if someone wants to find more information on today's topic, how can they reach you?
3: Um, well, I'm all over the internet. <laughs> so, <laughs> Um my website is RachelRogersLaw.com. Rogers Uh Rogers is spelled D G, so R O D G E R S. Um also you can find me on Twitter at Rach Rogers ESQ. Uh I also write a blog for Solo Practice University. So I cover you know, a lot of the topics we covered I've written about. Um if you want more information, um you can go to SolopracticeUniversity.com University dot com slash blog. And, uh, if you, on the right hand side, you'll see a picture of me and my name. You can click on that and see all the articles that I've written for them. Um, and I have a blog that I write, uh, for my clients, uh, which is my lawyer's name is Rachel.com, which has a lot of information about entrepreneurship. So there's definitely some overlap because, you know, we as new solos are entrepreneurs. So that might have some information that's useful as well.
2: Great. Um, And of course, you can contact me directly at Kyle at network.com. We're out of time. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Firm Manager from LexisNexis. You can find out more about Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com backslash L-T-N. Join us next time for another new episode of New Solo here on the Legal Talk Network. Have a great day, everyone.
0: Hope you'll listen to next month's edition with Attorney Kyle Gelcher right here on the Legal Talk Network. And a reminder to check out Firm Manager at MyFirmManager.com forward slash LTN. It's a business solution for lawyers created by lawyers from LexisNexis.